I think all of you would agree with me that we do not live in a peaceful world. Uh, it is not a peaceful world. The word peace is a beautiful word, isn't it? But the reality that it represents is so difficult to attain personally, family-wise, societally, nationally, and even internationally. Scholars tell us that since the recorded time began, there's been less than 250 years where there was not some kind of internal, excuse me, international conflict going on. Peace is so hard to find. And we need it, we look for it, but we rarely find it. Even in our homes, one writer said this week, I read it, said that today watching television often means fighting, violence, and foul language. And that's just deciding who gets to hold the remote control. And maybe you can identify with a dear lady who I read about this week who prayed, and this was an honest prayer on her part, and I think it is a prayer with which some of you, and I can point to you, could identify Here's what she said, Dear Lord, so far today, I've done all right. So far today, Lord, I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy. I haven't been grumpy. I haven't been nasty. I haven't been selfish. I haven't been overindulgent. I'm thankful for that. But in a few minutes, Lord, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm going to need all the help I can get. Amen. Well, some of you, and I can point to you, could identify with that lady, couldn't I? Couldn't you? Yes. Uh-huh. Raise your hand. Remember, confession is good for the soul, but bad for the reputation. Our world lives and exists in a great deal of turmoil. Peace seems to be elusive on every hand. In just four and a half months from now, we will celebrate Christmas once again. And we will read where the Bible says Jesus was the Prince of Peace. And we will see that He came to bring peace on earth and goodwill toward men. So we recognize peace is what God wants, but peace is so seldom found. In the Hebrew language, the word peace is shalom, the title of the message today. And when one greets a Jewish person, you can appropriately say hello by saying shalom. Say goodbye by saying shalom. In fact, what time is it right now? 11.04. This is still a part of the Jewish Sabbath. And so it's appropriate to say when you're in Israel or to a Jewish person, Shabbat Shalom, the peace of the Sabbath be with you. Shabbat, Sabbath, Shalom. Well, to the Jewish people, Shalom meant more than just an absence of conflict. It meant kind of a wholesomeness within oneself. It, you're wishing for someone to have security and health and wealth in the right sense of the word but it means completeness it means wholeness and so when you hear that word in the bible shalom or peace know that it meant something special now we've been studying the gospel of john 
I was disturbed yesterday when a friend, not here today, he'll be back, sent me a link of a new theological study on the part of a religion professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, that ought to clue you in right there, who said that the Gospel of John, after reflection and new research, has been shown nothing to be more than a mystical fantasy. And that the Johannine Gospel, he said, is not to be taken literally nor seriously because it is simply not a legitimate gospel. Well, you know how I respond to that. Uh, I don't really give any credence whatsoever to any professor from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, particularly in the area of spiritual issues. For if there's one thing you can pick up from our study of the Gospel of John, it is that there is inherent spiritual power in it. Just read it, and it comes alive with power. And that's what we see even in our text for today. In John 14, we have seen God make us great promises. In the first three verses, remember, he said, I promise you that if you have a relationship with me, you're going to heaven. Remember that? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, so if not so I would have told you. I go there and prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. What a promise. And then in verses 7 through 11, we saw that we can know the Father. And then in verses 12 through 15, we saw that we have the privilege of prayer. And then in verses 16 through 18, we saw the gift giving of the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit who will be our continued guide throughout our lives. And then and we saw just recently before my vacay, verses 19 through 24, you can enjoy the Father's love right now. You don't have to wait for the by and by. You don't have to wait for heaven. You can enjoy the Father's love right now. And then these last verses that we're going to study even this morning, we see that you can have the gift of Shalom. You can have the gift of peace. So look there with me at verses 25 through 31. It's not a long passage, but it's powerful. Again, when scholars and the early church began looking at what books should make up the New Testament, one of the four criterion was inherent spiritual power. And you see it in this text. It's powerful. Jesus said in verse 25, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I told you. If you are a follower of Christ, don't you, rem don't you know that many times, even throughout this week, the Holy Spirit's reminded you of something? Maybe through the words of a friend, through the words of a song. Uh, Brother Tim sent me one this morning that we both just love. And it's just powerful. It reminds us of a truth of the gospel. So it may be a word of a song. It may be a scripture. It may be a sermon. It may be just the Holy Spirit brings an impression to your heart, reminding you of the truth, right? So he reminds us of the, everything I've told you, verse 26. Now verse 27. 
peace, shalom, I leave with you. My peace, look at it. My peace, Jesus says, my shalom, I give to you. Do you need that today, friends? Do you need peace? Oh, yes, you do. Jesus said, my peace, I give to you. I give it to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. He picks up that same phrase that he used back in John 14, 1. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. Verse 28, you've heard me tell you I'm going away. And I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of this world, look at that, is coming. The ruler of this world is coming. And he has no power over me. He's talking about Satan. On the contrary, I'm going away so the world may know that I love the Father just as the Father commanded me, so I do. Get up. Let's leave this place. As they leave that garden experience, as they leave that teaching time, Jesus speaks to us about peace. Now, my friends, first of all, listen carefully. The world bases its understanding of peace on resources. But... God's peace depends on relationships. Look at that first phrase. Look at this main point. Our world bases peace on resources. How much do you have? Are you, having a, are you at peace because you've got your final expenses taken care of? I heard that uh, commercial yesterday. Are you at peace because you have your final expenses taken care of? Well... Our world bases peace on resources, but we know that for the believer, God's peace is based on a relationship. To be right with God means to have peace with God. Our world depends on personal ability, but the Christian depends on spiritual adequacy. We hope for peace. We work for peace. It's something good to look for, to hope for. In fact, even in the New Testament, we see that we're to be peacemakers with other people. Peace is a wonderful gift of God. Shalom is a precious gift. And it's not just the absence of trouble. It is calming a troubled heart in spite of trouble. If the world, in the world, we know people walk by sight and depend on the externals while Christians walk by faith and depend on the eternals and depend on the Spirit of God. Isn't that true? People walk by sight and we're supposed to walk by faith and depend on that which lasts forever. The Spirit of God, he tells us, teaches us the word and guides us into the truth in the good times and in the bad. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to give us peace, to give us love, to give us hope and joy. And if nothing will calm a heart, if that doesn't, nothing will. Look and see that the world has a totally skewed understanding of peace. But God says, I want you to have a peace that's based on a relationship with me. 
a relationship with me. Second, Jesus' promise of peace is assured by his promises. I love the promises of Christ. And we've already seen five or six of them, excuse me, six of them even in this one chapter. And he keeps all his promises, doesn't he? And we see yet another promise. One of the promises he makes here is that we're going to see him again. He says, I'm leaving and I'm coming to you. That must have confused some people. But Jesus is speaking about why he came the first time and the reality that he's coming back the second time. You may have heard me tell this story before. It's one of my favorite stories. I think it connects here. I'll fix it and make it, uh, make it connect somehow. It's in Billy Graham's autobiography, which is one of the greatest books you ought to read. It's entitled Just As I Am. It's thick. It's great. He talks about a time when he came to know then candidate, excuse me, not candidate, president-elect John Fitzgerald Kennedy. He'd been elected but not yet inaugurated. And he had time with Billy Graham. And you know what John Kennedy wanted to know about? He wanted to know about the second coming of Christ. He said, my church, Roman Catholic Church, does it even believe in that, Mr. Graham? And he said, well, yes, it does. They just don't talk about it much, but it's in their official doctrine. He said, well, tell me about it, Mr. Graham. I want to know about the second coming of Christ. Everybody wants to know about the second coming of Christ. I did a series of studies on that at Taylor's, and my goodness, hundreds and hundreds of people came. Even people never came on Wednesday night, showed up on Wednesday night. People want to know about it. But the rest of that story goes like this. Billy Graham says, I spent over an hour talking to him about the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. He said, the next time I saw him was at a national prayer breakfast. Dale and I got to go to one a few years ago. It's a big deal up there in D.C. We heard Andrea Bocelli sing the Lord's Prayer. He's one of my favorite singers, an Italian blind lawyer, opera singer. He said, I got to see, I was, he said, I saw him at the National Prayer Breakfast. The problem, Billy Graham says, was I was sick. I think I had the flu. I had aches, pains, chills, fever, the whole thing. These days they'd say he had corona, COVID, whatever. But he said, I had the flu. I was sick. But it's such a big deal to lead the National Prayer Breakfast. He said, I just forced myself to go do it. I had to do it. So he said, I did it. I got up there and I led it and I thought I was going to pass out. He said, as soon as it was over, I knew I had to get to, get to a hotel and crash. But as I was walking out, I found myself walking out beside President John Fitzgerald Kennedy. And I'll never forget, he said he had the saddest look in his eye. And he said, Mr. President, can I talk to you? Would you come back to the White House with me today and spend some time with me? I need to talk to you, Mr. Graham. Billy Graham said, Mr. President, I don't feel good. I think I have the flu, Mr. President. I have aches, pains, chills, fever. I don't want to give this to you or to Mrs. Kennedy. I, can we talk some other time, Mr. President? With an understanding look, he said, you go get you some rest, Mr. Graham. We'll talk some other time. 
But there was no other time. Because less than three weeks later, an assassin's bullet cut short the life of that young president. And Billy Graham writes in his book, I'll never forget that time because he called it an irrecoverable moment. He said, I wish I'd forced myself to go talk to him. Maybe something I could have said could have changed his life for all eternity. But I missed the chance. And I never had another chance to talk to that man. It was an irrecoverable moment. Oh, friends, what a story that is. What a powerful story it is. Everybody wanted to know why Jesus, what's going to happen when he comes back again. But friends, if you don't know why he came the first time, you've missed the boat. And Billy Graham knew that's why he needed to talk to him, to tell him about the peace that can come when you know Christ. He promises he's going to come again. And he even said oddly there in verse 28, you ought to rejoice that I'm going away. Well, why would they rejoice in that? Because his going away meant that he would sit at the right hand of God the Father and intercede for you and me at Pebble Creek in 2020. And if he hadn't, gone to be with the Father, we would not have that intercessor for us today. Isn't that powerful? Oh, my friends, the Spirit within us, the Savior above and the Word before us, what victory He offers us. In those two verses, verse 30 and 31, we see Him mention two of the great enemies of our spiritual lives, the world and the devil. And I think he is saying there, there's no point the devil can get a foothold if we are seriously in Christ and living in Christ. He cannot get a foothold in our life unless we allow it. And we often do, verse 30. The power of this world, the ruler is coming, but he has no power over me. Oh, my friends, stay close to Christ. Stay close to Jesus. Because when you do... The evil one cannot have a foothold in your life. And we all confess, and I do as well, that I have allowed him in too much too often. Forgive me, Father, for that. But we know Christ is greater. In fact, we know he, he pointed that out. In fact, he even said something that's confusing to some. He said, the Father is greater than me. He meant that only because he was in his earthly form. And we know that he is co-equal with God the Father. But what an offer and promise of peace he gives us as God the Son. But then last, listen carefully. Jesus' promise of peace is assured by his sacrifice. Both in verse 29 and verse 30, Jesus shows us his love, showed his love for the Father and for the world by voluntarily going to the cross. Jesus did not hide, he did not flee. He willingly laid down his life. And he uses that phrase, before it happens. What happens? He's talking about the cross. And then later he says, I'm going away. He's referring to the cross. And on that cross he would die for you and me. But he did so in perfect peace. Shalom. How could this be? Listen to me. You listening? A lot of people have asked me over the years, particularly younger people, Pastor, I wish, they've said to me, Pastor, I wish that God would show me my future. They really have. And you've asked for that yourself, haven't you? 
You want to know what's going to happen. Well, I promise you, you don't want to know your future. I promise you, you do not want to know your future. But Jesus knew his. His entire life, he knew he would live a short life. His entire life, he knew that he would be misunderstood. His entire life, he knew that he would die a horrific death alone. He knew it. He knew that every sin of every man, woman, boy, and girl, past, present, and future, would be placed upon his shoulders. And he did it willingly, lovingly. He did not hesitate. He did not shrink back. He said, I'm going away. And it's going to happen and I'm going to die. And I want you to know now so that you will have faith when it happens. But my peace I leave with you. He went to the cross in peace. It's just incredulous. Even though he knew, he still said, I do it in peace. His own perfect peace assures us that he alone can give us peace. So I ask you what I ask you at the beginning. Do you want peace? Do you want shalom? You can have it only through a relationship with the Son of God. There's no other way. And the peace that he experienced, he said, I give this to you. Look at verse 27 again. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do you want the peace of God? Do you want to be at peace? He says, my peace I give to you. My shalom I give. Do you receive it is the question. Do you receive it? Pray with me. Father God, we need your peace. I know that. I need it too. So Father God, I just pray that you would speak to every heart of every man, woman, boy, and girl in this place. That we would have peace. You said later it was a peace that passes all understanding. And it does. And how Christ could have gone to the cross with that peace is beyond human understanding. But Lord, as we said earlier, the book of John has inherent spiritual power because it records more than any other the words of Jesus. Lord, today, you offer us peace. And I pray that everyone here this morning, internally, inside your heart, would say, I receive your peace, Jesus. I receive your shalom today, Jesus. Speak to every heart. Save souls. May we all submit fully to you today, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to sing an old gospel hymn entitled, Wherever He Leads, I'll Go. Wherever He Leads. And so 
this invitation time is a time for spiritual introspection. Lord, what do you want from me? I know, Lord, I need your peace. And so as we sing, would you receive the peace, the shalom of our Lord?